It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Barry Ross, and this is The Big Rethink. Today's episode discusses technology and accessibility for people dealing with hearing loss. Our guest, Janice Linz, founder and CEO of Hearing Access Innovations. She has worked with the New York City Transit and Taxi and Limousine Commission to implement hearing enablement technology into the New York City subway and taxis, as well as Shake Shack. She has received honors from the Bill and Melinda Goalkeepers Foundation's partnership. She's an Aspen Institute scholar, a teller she can't change maker, and much, much more. Janice, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Barry, for having me. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, this is going to be great and certainly a learning experience for me. So let's talk a little bit about your background and who you are. So you graduated from the University of Buffalo with a BS in marketing, then a JD from the Cardozo School of Law. Now you're pursuing your MPA at Harvard Kennedy School. In between, you worked at an ad agency, and then you founded Hearing Access Innovations. So how did all these career experiences, these all, all these choices that you made lead you to what you're doing now? There was also an executive education program at Dartmouth <laughs> Tuck School. Don't want to miss that one. Don't leave them out. Um, but, you know, it's a sum of the parts. It wasn't that I selected this career, although I did go into law school hoping to change the world, which is kind of ironic, and especially for children. That was why I went into law school. Mm. But I had a daughter with hearing loss, and when the doctor diagnosed her, she immediately after the diagnosis said there were special schools for her. Her idea of special and my idea of special were two different specials. So my idea of special were, you know, some private, uh, you know, schools in New York City and, you know, potentially an Ivy League school or equivalent, right? But it wasn't like I was putting this untold pressure on my child. But I was thinking, I, I didn't, what, I, what it really wasn't that I said, oh, I want her to go to this school. Mm. I wanted to her to make the choices. And I didn't like the fact that this doctor lowered the bar and my daughter for my daughter's entire life for her. The schools she ended up going to were um, a private girls' school on the, in New York City, and then an Ivy League school undergraduate and another Ivy League school where she is now. But these were her choices. Mm. She decided where she was going. Society didn't limit her. And so I decided when she was younger, it was easier to change the world than to change my standards. And so I ended up starting small with um, advocacy that impacted our family. And when I saw how long it took to make those changes, I ended up thinking much bigger because some of the projects would take, you know, by the time I finished getting the little right. lollipop orchestra series to become accessible, my daughter was no longer interested in it, right? You know, it would take five years and she was now a teenager. So I really had to think bigger. And that's when I started thinking big issues like transportation and things like that. Yeah, I think that that, that makes sense. That's a great segue into my next question, which you answered, but I'll just ask the, the, the question again for our listeners. And so from a personal standpoint, why are you focused on people with hearing loss and accessibility? I mean, was there a progression of interest or one defining moment? And I think you answered it, but for our listeners. You know, sorry about that. But, um, you know, it, as I started doing it, 
right? It started like, you know, we would go to Lincoln Center and the access wasn't correct and it would be frustrating and I would fix it. But then there was this point where I realized I could fix it, that people for some reason weren't speaking up, weren't providing solutions when they complained. They would just rant and whine and I, I can't wow. stand when my children do that, let alone other people. And I realized that I was really, actually really good at accomplishing um, these big system systemic changes. But not only that, this was why I went to law school. I went to law school to wow. impact change, especially for children. And this somehow in some bizarre way of life brought all the disparate pieces of my life together. And I was suddenly doing what I went to law school for. Plus, I was wow. able to bring in my marketing degree, which who would believe that has anything to do with this? But bizarrely, it did. So, and I yeah, love what I, I'm doing. Like, I really love what I'm doing. Yeah, I think that's the fact that you could tie all that together to a, a progression of events is pretty powerful. And so that leads me to my next question, because you talked about kind of like making these larger changes. Let's talk a little bit about accessible, hearing accessible technology. And so, you know, I'm, I'm pulling back a bit because I, you know, I don't know much or anything about, uh, you know, the system, but what is an induction loop hearing system? So first, Barry, if it's not your issue, it's unlikely you would possibly know about it, right? Until it was my issue, right. I didn't know anything about it either. So an induction loop technology brings the sound from, let's say, if either you have a speaker behind a plexiglass, like in a bank or a post office, mm. or it could be where you have, you're in a theater, right? So anytime there's sound, if you put a microphone that either projects or doesn't project, the sound electromagnetically jumps to the person's hearing aid or cochlear implant when they switch to the T or telecoil setting. So what that means is if let's say you're in a post office, and there's plexiglass, like if the post office in America would add this, right? right. They, you would be able to, right, imagine right now we have people with masks, you can't see on both sides of the plexiglass, right? So you can't see people's lips. Then you have thick plexiglass, sometimes bulletproof, like in the case of a mm. bank, right? And so that inhibits sound. So for a person with hearing loss, it's really hard to hear. This, if the person, the speaker on this um, that works, let's say, at the post office of the bank is wearing a microphone, right, that doesn't project. They, when they speak, the sound jumps electromagnetically to the person's hearing aid or cochlear implant. So the sound is directly in their ear. Wow. And they can hear, and it blocks out all the background sound. So that, like, the person next to them who's discussing the weather at the, with the next teller, you're not hearing that. And so it is amazing, especially let's say if you're in a noisy situation like the theater, right? And the person chomping on their popcorn and talking to their <laughs> husband, did you hear that? You don't hear any of that. You hear the person on the stage directly in your hearing aid or cochlear implant. It's phenomenal. Wow. And so, and so I, I think that's important because you talked about a number of use cases, like being in the theater, uh, being in the bank. And what I do with my companies, all we do is you talk about these applications. So can you give me what other use cases you've looked at 
or maybe other applications for this system? It can be used anywhere. So it could be used to post offices, banks. Like I said, mm. this plexiglass and bulletproof glass makes it even more necessary. Pharmacies, when you're receiving critical information from a pharmacist and you have questions, you know, you know, beyond the piece of paper and plus, you know, who's right. sitting and reading these, these printouts, right? You have questions. It's hard to hear. Then when you're on, you want to hear the announcement on a bus, what the next stop is, or in a subway, right. perfect explanation, when, a perfect place, or the platform when your, your train or your bus is arriving. In an airport, gate changes. Um, wow. When you're in a museum, the videos at the ticket counter. You know, the, the, the opportunities are endless. It is the greatest technology. And what's great about it is... You don't have the connectivity issues the way you do with Bluetooth. Interesting. And it doesn't burn through really expensive hearing aid batteries. And the more powerful your hearing aids, the more expensive your batteries. And so this just connects. There's no battery usage. So you're not burning through pricey hearing aid batteries. So, so let me ask you a question then. So do you consider this system groundbreaking or more of an incremental innovation from what you've seen? It seems groundbreaking, but this technology has actually been around since World War II, which is crazy, wow. right? And yeah. it's been in London taxis since <laughs> 1978. But the problem we have in America is that people do not necessarily travel and do not see what other countries are doing. So it's mm. groundbreaking in the United States, but it's been in England since 1978 in their taxis, wow. which is insane. It's in Israel, all over Israel. It's in Scandinavia countries or Commonwealth countries. It's, it's innovative in this country. And there is, by the way, before you ask, nothing else on the market. Wow. It's not like there's an alternative. So this is the technology. And anyone who says, oh, no, we should use Bluetooth. Incorrect, because you're not paying for those batteries, mm. which are super pricey. If you've ever gone to a drugstore and you've seen those little round circle batteries, right. $13.99 a pack, you know, that's pricing. You don't always have another battery with you and you don't want to be without it. Plus, I don't know about you, I can't always get my Bluetooth headsets to connect to my phone. <laughs> I'm opening and closing that little case, pushing <laughs> buttons. You know, it's a joke when you're trying to connect to your computer or your phone. But when you need to hear at a precise moment when the theater is starting, Right. And you miss that first sentence. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, I can't imagine. I, I just cannot imagine. And that, that definitely changes the discussion. And, and so it, this goes back to, you know, maybe what are your thoughts are like, are there other industries that could be using induction loop now that could benefit from, from the technology and aren't? Yes. So if I had my way in the world, <laughs> <laughs> right. Apple would add Bluetooth to their AirPods, because think about this. If you had a telecoil, right, in your AirPods, then when you, every place where there's an induction loop, like, and if the post office would finally add the induction loop or the banks, you could pop in, you don't need a hearing loss. You could pop in your AirPods or any brand of, you know, accessories from all the different companies, right? And right. you could hear just like people with hearing loss. It would become universal wow. access. It would be a non-game changer. It would be unbelievable. What's crazy is some hearing aid companies are starting to remove this telecoil. Why? Because it makes mm. every single pair of hearing aids exactly the same. And when you're selling $8,000 hearing aids, 
You want to say my noise canceling, background canceling, mass canceling, whatever fancy name you come is like the state of the art. But it is not a substitute for the telecoil because this telecoil costs about give or take a couple of years ago, it was $50. I don't know what the price, even $75 now with our rapid inflation, right? Mm. So even if we say $75, $100, right? It makes every single pair of hearing aids the same. And hearing aid companies have zero interest in their cheap hearing aid being the same as their pricey hearing aid. And they are controlling how people with hearing loss hear and making all sorts of claims of why you don't need it. But it's false. Now they're coming up with these. Someone just sent it to me. I hadn't seen this. A new device where you can convert. You hold it and it converts your your telecoil. But that's not in your hearing aid. If you have an induction loop and it converts it to Bluetooth. Well, that defeats the point because just now you're mm. still burning through your Bluetooth and your batteries and connectivity issues. So it's crazy. Yeah. And I, I think it, it, there's you're bringing up something that I consistently see across a lot of the tech and innovation is about battery utilization and battery use and how a lot of people should and do understand that, you know, the more energy used, the more you know, depletes a battery quickly. And in this case, it doesn't seem like it's any different. And by the way, if Apple, if you're listening, I think there's some good points here. And I think probably the next degree you should get, Janice, is probably an engineering degree because I think you're, <laughs> you're capturing a lot of the, the problems I think that, uh, you know, people need to hear about. Well, whoever invents, by the way, whoever invents how to get more power into a battery is going to be the super rich person because we know that's what's holding up innovation. And that's why companies like Apple keep offloading, you know, various things off their computers and all company, all the companies like how right. can we get rid of ports, how we can get rid of this because they need to innovate, to get more battery power. And that's why even one company was like kind of cleaning up the battery, right? Because practically like licking the cake batter, right? Off because they wanted every ounce of energy. And when you push too much, that's when you had the exploding batteries. And so the battery is the problem that drives the innovation and no one has been able to figure out how to get more power into less space. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And so the technology is part of it, and it's part of what we're discussing now. But let's talk a little bit about the business challenges you've experienced in getting induction loop hearing systems installed, especially if you worked, you know, as an example, in the subway system or the taxi and limousine commission. What are your thoughts on that, like the business issues you've seen? <laughs> No, let's no, no. Great question. Let's stay away from the, uh, the the actual names of the companies, but you know, certainly the experience helps our listeners. Okay, so a major pharmaceutical company, like Major, wrote back to me that they did not need to add induction loops at their pharmacies because their mm. pharmacists know how to communicate with people with hearing loss. Wow. Now, I honestly didn't know how to write something back to this person. I, I, I stared at the paper and couldn't even believe that somebody, first off, the past legal department, let you know, seriously, wow. how that past legal department was beyond me. But I, I, some things should just not be put in writing. And, <laughs> and that was one of them, right? And so this is what this person wrote. And I just thought, I'm sorry, this just doesn't even make sense, right? And, and like, yeah, that's a doozy. Then, okay, now let's take another bank, a major bank. They wrote to me and said, well, people can lip read. Now, one, that's assuming people know how to lip read. 
And it's really hard to lip read when the person behind that thick plexiglass is wearing a mask and you're wearing a mask. Right? Yeah. Another doozy. That's, and then my yeah. final doozy <laughs> is a major mail carrier service. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain. <laughs> run by our U.S. government who said <laughs> it's not required because there's no microphone and you only need to add it when there's amplification. Now, what? seriously? I, you know, yeah. by the way, I had sent that person photos of post office photos in the UK, Scotland, other countries. Oh. Right? Showing they right. had it, right? But to this person, a federal employee didn't think it was yeah. necessary. Now, I'm not done with all three of these projects. And there will be a time where I name names. But this is the right. type of responses in 2022 that I receive. So the way to deal with this is to one, name and shame, because it is the mm. only way I have found. And as um, Congressman Lewis told me, you know, you need to um, make people uncomfortable. And so that is something that I have come to do because there is no other way to deal with this kind of ignorance. There's a certain level where you can educate people and people are unaware. Right. And of course you try that. But then there's a certain point where you realize some people are uneducatable and they really and, don't care. But I think you're bringing up a good point. I mean, do you think responses like that in this day and age are just based on like, hey, I don't know, or is it something other than that? Like, hey, I just don't want to deal with it. Or is it a combination of both, like you were just saying? It's also a, a, it's a cost issue for some. Mm, right. But um, some people, it's, uh, it's about them versus us. And it depends. In the beginning, I might give someone a, a bit of a chance. But when I send like that pharmaceutical company or that mail carrier company photos showing the access in other places and their response is like that, then mm. I know this is like someone who is not, because they're not saying to me, well, I'm unfamiliar with this. Tell me more. Let's set up a phone call because I want to learn more, right? That's the right. response I would expect, you know, or when you've had that conversation and then they like the bank and then they look for loopholes or like this mail carrier company where they're looking for loopholes of how they can get out of it. Yeah. That's not an ignorance issue. That is someone who thinks they're smarter, they don't have to provide, and I don't know what their issue is. Now, I did have someone who was at a major museum who was a major retired general who, it turned out he had a hearing loss. So he didn't mm. want to confront his own hearing loss because he ignored it, and he then therefore blocked access until the Pentagon got involved, right? Interesting. Right, I went to the Pentagon. So, the, and then when the Pentagon, <laughs> right, when the Pentagon got involved, yeah. he put in the access, right? And I was like, <laughs> you know, I may be a mom and you may be a five-star general, but I'm not afraid of you. And <laughs> I'm going to take you on. And you have messed with the wrong person. <laughs> Do not mess with Janice. It's okay. You, you, can, you can say that on air. You it's totally fine. You can say that on air. But like, so the Pentagon made it happen, right? Right. But that's what you have to do. And, and there are people, you know, when there was um, the National Park Service, I had similar problems. And I sent the former Secretary of Interior, I think it was Secretary Norton, 
a 17-page phone log of every person I spoke with, every meeting wow. I had, every everything I had done, right? With names, phone numbers, and dates, Good right? For you. Very detailed. Yep. And I said, what more as a mom could I do to make Ellis Island accessible for my daughter's school trip, right? What more could I do? I don't think there's another mother in America who had tried harder, <laughs> right? 17 pages, line after line. They fixed it, right? It still needs tweaks yeah. we're discussing next week, but they also asked me to help write their federal guidelines. So that's what you have to do. You make people uncomfortable as Congressman Lewis told me to do. And I'm, and or Senator Harkin said, some people have to be the point on the sword. And, and he said, you're it. And sometimes that sword gets really pointy. <laughs> yeah. And wielded by a person who's got a lot of grit, which I love. So, you know, kudos to you. But let's, let, let's get to the next question, because I've been reading about hearing aid manufacturers partnering with universities to research things like sensors and AI to improve speech understanding and challenging listening situations, much in the same way you've been describing these situations to me for the last five minutes. What other technology and partnerships are you seeing in the field? I am not privy to information until it's public like that. Um, and, and you sent me that. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what develops. This new proposed over-the-counter regulation, which I'm the person behind, is going mm. to rip open the entire field. And I think we're going to start to see more things. What is exciting is all these new partnerships because what term was a six-person, a six-company oligopoly and then five when another company merged is right. now being ripped apart and disrupted. And that's what I like to do, disrupt industries. And But what we want to also make sure, and that's what's so exciting about these new regulations, people think things sound great, right? And, and, and look, developing AI, fabulous. But when you see numbers like 92%, you know, accuracy, that sounds wonderful. Right. Until you see it. Like 92 mm. sounds like great. If you got a 92 in your test, you'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm good. This is cool, right? Exactly, yeah. This isn't failing. But when you <laughs> when you get 92% accuracy on speech to text, it's horrible. Mm. Um, and so when you're relying 100% and you're not having any audio coming in that you can fill, you know, if you have where you're filling in the gaps, like you and I would use the, uh, the, tech, the captions and we'd fill in, oh, what was that complicated right. word? 92% is probably great. We can figure it out. But if you're not hearing anything, 92% mm -hmm. is horrible. So that's why seeing these partnerships, but then the um, FDA developing regulations and testing the hearing aids is going to game change the industry because we are going to stop having hearing aid manufacturers peddle us potentially snake oil. They may not be, mm. but we don't know. And the goal is to make sure what people promise, they actually deliver. And we're already starting to see companies do that. I mean, the Connecticut AG has gone after mm. companies, and it's like brilliant. Companies who said they're FDA-approved hearing aids, Connecticut's AG has already gone after them. You're not, wow. you're not FDA approved. Take that off. And kudos to the AG for doing that. And I hope other AGs start slamming these companies because if you do it, you're going to be done. No more pulling fraud on people with hearing loss. So this is great because I think we are going to talk a little bit uh, about um, what's going on with the FDA and over-the-counter purchases, which is great. 
But let's just jump back a little bit because I think it's really important. Can you tell us more about the work you're doing through Hearing Access and Innovations? Well, it started out, it was called the Hearing Access Program. I worked with three different major hearing loss organizations. Then they went in different directions, didn't want to do advocacy anymore. And I transitioned um, into Hearing Access and Innovations. And my goal is to help educate the world's governments and companies on how they can provide access within their own companies and to their customers. And so that's what I do. I work with companies, government agencies, universities, helping them help their employees and their clients and removing the artificial barriers that prevent people with hearing loss from being able to access their services and products. And so when we start talking about your career and how it manifested and kind of grew into this thing, this is the passion you're talking about, right? This program. Yes. And, you know, it's crazy because, like, I didn't enter, you know, how some people have, like, oh, when I grow up, I want to do this, right? <laughs> Mine has just evolved, but I love it. And also, it's what's really crazy is I, you know, travel to, I'm traveling to every country in the world. That is like wow. my true passion, passion. And as I travel the world, I see access and I document it uh, by photographs. And then I use that to create best practices around the world. And so I've been able to bring all my passions together into one, which is just like bliss. Yeah, that's a dream. I mean, that's, that would make anyone jealous. And then that's why I asked the question in the beginning of every show, like, what do you do? You know, how did you arrive to where you are now? And I think it's pretty powerful, especially, you know, to people who listen to the show and they hear the passion in people's voices. And to be quite honest, I've had a few. My uh, programmer is probably going to kill me. We've had a few great podcasts where people probably didn't have the same passion. That's what makes this special, right? This, this topic in particular. So let's go back to, I think, you were talking about, you know, maybe this is the Wall Street Journal article that you contributed to, but, you know, I read and you contributed to this journal in the Wall Street uh, Journal uh, about over-the-counter hearing aids. And so the FDA was expected to allow over-the-counter purchases of hearing aids without medical exams. How and why is this ruling, as you were saying, disruptive and or innovative? Well, first, it's going to pull back the entire curtain on the entire industry. So audiologists and hearing aid dispensers are prescribing and selling hearing aids. That is a conflict of interest and problematic mm. because if they sell something and they don't have it, right? I mean, if you need something and they don't have it, it's not going to be like Macy's sending you to Gimbal's. I'm of certain age, you know, like at that <laughs> reference point, right? <laughs> I know what Gimbal's is. It's all good. Right? But you're not going to send you to your competitor, right? Right. And so everyone thinks that their audiologist or hearing aid dispenser sells all the hearing aids in, that are out there. They don't. Mm. They sell a product selection and they don't sell all brands. And even if they sell the brand, they don't sell all the models. So that's problematic. And so going to someone, plus they don't actually have the data because it turns out the FDA tests medical devices. Hearing aids are a level one medical device. And mm. that means as long as they are safe and don't kill you and they deliver what they promised. But the problem was they never tested them because they pass under something called the functional equivalency standard of their predecessor. So I was at the Aspen Institute. There were six or seven FDA commissioners, including 
now current caliph, but when he was under the Obama administration. And I said, so when was the last time you tested hearing aids? And I went down the line. That was convenient. They put everybody in chronological order. I was like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Easy pickings. Easy pickings. Like they had no idea what they had done. I was like, ooh, this is great. I know. You could only imagine. I went down the lineup. Nobody had any idea. Now, that's wow. crazy. So now we think that these hearing aid dispensers and audiologists know what they're selling, but they really, how can you know right. what you're selling when it hasn't been tested, when you can't compare features because they don't have generic features? So is mask enhancement restaurant background or noise canceling the same or mm. different? Who knows? So right. the next iteration is going to have generic names, which I'm thrilled and so beyond excited because that was my recommendation. Then they're going to also use an, uh, a formulation. I mean, I am not an engineer, so they had to tweak what I recommended. And they made a point <laughs> in the regulations of kind of like <laughs> mentioning because you're asking for something and you're repeating something and you're not quite sure. But basically, the equivalent of testing them using international anti-standards so you know if they deliver what they have. Now, when you have this information, you have the same information as the audiologist. You don't necessarily need an audiologist for a mild hearing loss, right? You know, yes. I do recommend that if you do have a hearing loss, you should get your ears checked medically, right? Because make sure there is no other more serious condition. But we're putting, what's crazy is we're putting AirPods in our ears or, or equivalent, you know, any of these phone things. Those are basically PSAPs, personal sound amplification devices, mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of cheap hearing aids, right? So what's the difference? Right. This was this misnomer that that's one thing and this is the other. And that's what the problem was. People were buying these devices to act like cheap hearing aids. And it's going to drive the whole pricing structure down. More companies are going to enter the market. We're going to have testing. We're going to have a knowledge base. Hopefully, you'll be able to compare. Consumer reports will finally be able to compare hearing aids because they couldn't. Wow. They could not. Be. And the editor-in-chief also at the Aspen Institute told me they could. I asked, you keep asking these questions, but you don't answer them. They said, we can't because we can't compare them. What do you ask the questions? So, ask the, so what they did was they wrote an article with my quotes, but that doesn't solve the problem. We need information. And as Cy Sims, another store, um, <laughs> said, you know, an educated consumer is our best customer. That's what I would like to see for hearing aids. Genius. Right? Educate people. Let them make intelligent decisions. Assume they are. And let people then be able to. And then they will go to an audiologist or hearing aid dispenser if they need the help. But forcing them to do it is ridiculous. Yeah, and I think you said something very, very important. And it's a world that I live in uh, on the technology side is building you know, to uh, global standards that everyone can understand and compare products to. So that's great. I think that's lovely. You know, the next question is going to be unfair, Janice, because I, I, I've personally learned so much, and that's a problem because I think I know it all. But if you had one thing, just one thing uh, that you want our listeners to remember from this discussion, what would it be? And it could be two things because I like you. So shoot, to shoot from the hip, what jumps to mind? If you have a problem yeah, and you can't hear, you have to complain because things don't happen unless you ask for it. But don't ask, rant. Give them a solution of what you want and then follow up. We can't all be dependent on one person doing this. We need everybody to pitch in. And I need people to complain 
provide a solution, which then takes it from a rant to an effective complaint, and then follow up. And if we all pitch in and do one place, we can literally change the world for people with hearing loss. That's uh, that is one thing. That's a powerful one thing. I uh, yeah, Janet, I I'm gonna ask that you probably come on the show another time. I, you know, I've really really enjoyed this. Like I said, I think I learned a lot. So, what's next for you <laughs> after you graduate with your next degree, your MPA? Is, are, are we talking engineering school? You know what? What are you gonna do? <laughs> well, I love to having this conversation. This is fabulous. I'm always willing to come on. Um, you know. I believe education is like a learning curve. You know, it's like you're continuously learning. And so I'm not ruling out. Like, you know, I don't know where I'm going to be because like I just, it's hard to know. And maybe engineering school is next. And I never thought about that. But like, oh, could be. That would be fun. So I'm going to Harvard, which I'm super beyond excited about, like jumping out of my skin with excitement. And I'm excited to all the connections because Right. I am hoping, first off, the class this year was 59% global, right? And that wow. makes a huge difference to learn from people in other countries what's going on in their country and get their input and figure out how we can affect change because hearing access is very different in other countries. Some countries, you know, you have developing countries, you have countries that are much more advanced because if, let's say, in a less developed country, if they don't have access to hearing aids, they're using more sign language and because they can't afford the hearing wow. aids. And that's why that's part of what drives me is that making sure your hearing aids are, are affordable. So in countries where they are unaffordable, people who need them can get them because it's, it's a game changer for their life. Right. They can communicate Absolutely. with their family members and friends. So I don't know what's going to be the next step. I just keep walking through doors um, and like. Fighting the good fight, as they say. Well, sadly, you know, I'm bummed because we're about out of time, Janice. I've got to tell you, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you. I had so much fun. I love this was so much fun. And, and it's great because this is a very different type of show because you're talking about the techno technological aspect. And it's funny because I don't think of myself as technological. But, you know, having that aspect, it, it, it's fascinating. Well, you've done fine. Take Thank my you. word for it. And, I, and I'm not snowing you. <laughs> and the fact that you know what uh, and who Gimbals was and is, uh, that's impressive. So you get points on my book. And, uh, you know, for our listeners, uh, you know, if you enjoyed the podcast like I did or even didn't enjoy the podcast, uh, you have any ideas to make us better, uh, you know, visit our feed on iTunes to rate, review and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. We want your feedback. And sadly, again, that's it for us on another episode of The Big Rethink. Until next time, I'm Barry Ross.